So I'm uh, continuing in 1 Peter this morning and at the next passage, which is uh, taken from 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, starting at verse 1. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So for those of you visiting, we've been in this series, and uh, did I just open up on Mother's Day with a scripture reading that starts with, you wives must accept all authority of your husbands? Did I just do that on Mother's Day? Yep. And before you leave and storm out, let me explain. So happy Mother's Day. First of all, I planned my series way in advance, and uh, I had these sermons kind of put together. When I, when I chose to kind of put it into this time slot, I did not look at how it lined up. But I think there is a lot here for us. And, uh, and if you've been noticing a lineup, there are lots of people who have been feeling the pressures and uh, things have been going on that, that sometimes make uh, what God is trying to say to us really pertinent. And there are times when it happens and I wouldn't have had the guts to preach something like this on Mother's Day. And sometimes that happens with lots of sermons, and I think that's a little too on the money for what we're going through. And then it lines up because I planned it three months, six months in advance, and I go, well, obviously, God, you want it said. So let me put it in context, and I promise it gets better. 
Uh, we started last week with these two verses. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. So that was the context in which these passages uh, come. And, and, and this is kind of a part two of, of that last week's sermon because as Paul, or as Peter, I'm so used to, Paul's two-thirds of the New Testament, so sometimes you just automatically go there when it's a letter. But Peter says, uh, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And so when he gives that instruction, then we looked at, at, at that, and then the, he gave two examples last week, and this is the continuation. It's example three, four, and five of what it means to live properly among our unbelieving neighbors, what it means to live among a world that doesn't see things the way we see them, doesn't live the way we live, doesn't value what we value as part of the kingdom, and yet we are called to be God's ambassadors in those situations. And so he says, even if they're against you, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. Like they'll notice it. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So even if it takes till the end of time, uh, it will come, and they'll know, and they'll recognize. It's, uh, it's like it says in Philippians 2 and verse 10, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, that's going to happen. It's inevitable. So he says, live properly, live honorably, in order to have a positive impact on your unbelieving neighbors, so they'll give honor to God. The way that we live, particularly under pressure, has an impact on our witness. And so we have to consider how we live. We have to think about what we're doing and how we respond to situations so that we can have the best effect on our witness. That's our motivator, to live in such a way that we can compel people towards Jesus and towards his kingdom. And so Peter's list of examples uh, last week, he started with as citizens that we submit to civil authorities, that we live in the structure of our government, uh, that slaves are to submit to masters. And he says, even if your master's cruel and, and, and unkind, like live with integrity in your role. If you've got work to do, do it with integrity. It doesn't matter what somebody else is doing or whether they should be doing what they're doing, you do the right thing. And so Peter continues here with a couple more examples. And so there's a system, he says, and, and we're, we're bound to live within the system but in a certain way. And so number three in the examples is, is that first one, how we relate, wives relate to husbands. And this is what he says about that. He says, in the same way, meaning as the same way as the civil authorities and in the same way as, as slaves to masters, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, or, or the word is submit. And it's, it's submit as in fit in the system of, of that structure. And so he says, in the same way, uh, you must accept the authority of your husband. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So he says to wives, if you're, in a, if you're married to somebody who isn't a Christian, that seems to be quite common in this ch these churches that he's writing to. There's a, lots of slaves. So he writes to the slaves and not the masters. And then he writes to the wives who are married uh, to, to 
unbelievers, and he says, like, like submit to that, like serve in your, in your marital relationship. Do what you can to keep peace. And then even if they refuse to obey the good news, even if they aren't believers, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. It says the way that you live is going to be as strong a witness as the words that you speak to them. And they'll be won over. Uh, you, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they'll be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So just like he said that you're free, but you should use your freedom to, to freely serve in order to win even the hostile and accusing people, he says, use your freedom to serve in your marriage so that you can win your husband over. Like the way that you treat him and the kindness that you show, even when he's maybe not so kind, that can be a witness that wins him over. And so he says these godly wives will speak without words. And when their husbands see their Christian wives, pure and reverent lives, they'll be won over by that. So it's like submission, but as an evangelistic tool. Like you, you, you fit within the relationship so that you can have an impact. And so Peter writes them and he says, we don't obey civil authorities over God, but we obey the civil authorities. We, we fit within that relationship so that we can get along and so that the church can continue to operate because they were in a very hostile environment, more hostile than ours. And so Nero, as the emperor, could do anything to snuff out the church. And, and eventually he, he got more and more violent against the church. And so history shows his propensity for that kind of behavior. And so Peter says, look, we got to try to work within the system and try to work uh, to, to help our witness in this way. And so he says that, uh, that we should work within the system of our, our government, that if we are in a, a relationship within their society where you're a slave and there's nothing you can do about changing that in their society, he says, work hard. And even if you're even if your master is cruel and even when they're not looking, try to live with integrity. Now you should know that uh, in Israel, things were all right for women. And in the Roman Empire at large, there were parts of it where, uh, where women were treated a little better. But Roman women normally conformed to the religious practices of their husband. Normally, women followed the religion that they married into. But Peter says, look, as Christians, in that context where normally you would have be expected to abandon Christianity and follow their faith, you should live your Christian faith in such a way that you don't kind of heap problems on yourself. And so Peter writes to women in Asia Minor who have more freedom than those in Palestine, more freedom than those in Athens. But uh, he says to them, you know, when you've got your freedom and you've got a choice to make, Use it to serve so that you can win an audience for, the, for, for your faith. And so we don't, uh, we don't obey civil authorities over God and slaves are to be loyal even if they're treated poorly. And he's not speaking to whether slavery is a good thing or a bad thing. He's just saying this is the situation you're in. And so wives in the church, particularly with unbelieving husbands, are, are to serve. And then, for example, he says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty 
of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. Now this isn't a, an admonition to say women shouldn't wear jewelry. It isn't to say that women can't spend time on their appearance. But what he's saying is that you should clothe yourself instead with what's beautiful on the inside, with your character. And that the focus uh, of the women he's, he's dealing with shouldn't be about how you look, but should be about who you are. And so he says, clothe yourself instead with beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. Women should be more worried about the inside than being beautiful on the outside. Makes you think not much has changed in culture, right? Sometimes there's a pressure on women to look a certain way, and, and I always feel sad when you see uh, a movie star, a TV star who, who's, who has been a beautiful woman and is continuing to be a beautiful woman, and then all of a sudden it's like the pressure to not have one wrinkle makes them inject all kinds of things into their faces, and suddenly you go, they don't look as beautiful anymore. Instead of being a beautiful 40 or 50-year-old, they look like somebody who's maybe a little younger but has their face paralyzed. And that's something that is sad to me that we would need to go to that length. And so P Peter says to women, you know, the inside is what matters. How you make yourself beautiful is the way that you live. And it shouldn't just come from outward experience and outward, outward beauty. The unfading beauty of your gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And so he says, clothe yourself with that. Like if you're going to wear something, wear your character. And so believing women, he says, have done this for a while. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Again, the original language isn't the word authority. It's, it's got that connotation of authority or submit, but it's, it's go along with, with how things are. And so then he continues, for instance, uh, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called her him her master. You are daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. So he's saying, don't live in fear. Don't cower under your husband. That's not what this is supposed to be. And so you shouldn't live in fear. But what you do and how you serve should be something you do with dignity um, and by choice. And then he deals with husbands in the church. And, uh, and here's where it really gets better. Right? He says, in the same way. I just want to camp out on that opening for a minute. He said to the women in the same way as these other situations, and now he says to the husbands, Christian husbands, of course, because that's who he's dressing inside the church. And so he says, when it comes to Christian husbands, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. In the same way as we submit to the system of our civil authorities and work within it, and in the same way that we give honor uh, if we're slaves to our masters and in the same way that, uh, that women uh, submit to the authority within their, their, uh, their marital relationships, in the same way husbands are to treat their wives. They're supposed to do the same thing as the wives and the slaves and those who are citizens. And so when we're inside that empire that pressures us and pushes in on us, when we're living in a system that isn't always kind to us and, and can treat us with persecution, we are called 
to live a life of service. Not the service that makes us a doormat that we are stepped on and bullied and beaten up and so we cower in submission, but the kind of service that we choose willingly because we have the freedom to choose in Christ. And so even though the system would be acting that way for one reason, we act with dignity. And so he, he's already said, God comes first and you don't abandon your faith, not even for your husband or your wife, but, but as you're living out your faith in God, look for ways that you can be a servant. And so in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. This living together uh, phrase is, is, is one that's rich in biblical meaning of, of what it means to be an intimate relationship as husband and wife. And so he says, in that, that context, you need to really understand your wife. You don't just run roughshod over your wife. You don't treat her like she's less than you. And, and so you understand her and you look after that relationship. And he says, she may be weaker than you are. Like you might be able to physically overpower her and in their society, you may have the power of society behind you. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Am I getting out of trouble yet, ladies? Do you hear me, husbands? She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. So in the situations where we are dealing with unbelievers, there's a certain amount of, of submitting, a certain amount of, of not making things contentious if it's in our power, of going along and trying to win an audience for the gospel. And so we become the servants of all, like Jesus set an example for us in. But he says, inside the kingdom... Husbands and wives are partners. So if you've got a believing husband and a believing wife, they're supposed to be equal partners. Paul said something similar in Galatians. This time I got it right. It's Paul. In Galatians, Paul says, in Christ there's neither male or female, slave or free man, Jew or Greek. Like those three categories, Jew or Greek, cultural differences, slave or free man, economic differences, rich or poor, Male or female, those categories don't matter inside the kingdom of God. When it comes to being inside the church, those distinctions become irrelevant. And so here Peter says, look, we have to do what we can in the world to win a witness. And our primary motivation in how we respond to the world is, is not so that we can push back but so that we can show what it means to be Jesus' followers. And we can compel them towards the gospel. Anything that harms that witness, we have to be really careful about. And that has to be prime in our minds. How do I live in such a way that I bring honor to Jesus and I make it easier for people to find him and accept him and love him and believe in him and serve him? How do I live my witness in such a way that it draws people towards the kingdom? That's not to be a doormat, but it's to be a servant. 
And so inside the kingdom, wives are equal partners. And he says, he even gives a warning to the husbands. He says, treat her as you should so your prayers won't be hindered. That's a stern warning, isn't it? He says, treat her as you should so your prayers won't be hindered. Like, if you don't treat your wife well, if you don't treat her like an equal partner in the gospel, if you don't follow these directives and treat her as you should with understanding and, and, and looking after that relationship and treating her like an equal partner in God's gift of new life, if you don't do that, God's not interested in hearing your prayers. Like it'll hinder your relationship with him. And it'll cut off your prayer life and it'll feel like you're distant from him. And that's because you are. And so he says, treat her so that your prayers will not be hindered. So citizens submit to civil authorities, but that's not an absolute, of course. Your, your relationship with God is primary, but, but live within the system as far as it's in your power. Slaves submit to masters, not because slavery is good, but because this is the place you find yourself in. Wives submit to their husbands, their unbelieving husbands, particularly so that you can strengthen your witness. Husbands be considerate if they're Christians as well. Same way, be considerate, treat them as equal partners. So in the same way is for all of these. And then example number five is for all believers. And he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. And so he's talking to to believers in their relationship with each other. And you think, well, well, you've just been talking about all these pressures and you're talking about how we respond to those pressures and how we win a, a, our, our witness is strengthened by the way that we serve and by the way that we humble ourselves. And now you're, you're talking about our relationships with each other. Why, why step out of line in that? What, what, what does that have to do with what's going on? But what happens is when we are under pressure in outward relationships, it, it can cause tension within our internal relationships. And as believers, we can be torn apart from each other because of the pressure we're under. And so he says, all of you should be of one mind. The word there is like harmony. It's not one mind like you, you should all think alike and walk alike and, and dress alike and, and have the same personality. And, and you know, if the question is asked, everybody answers the same. Like we're not robots, right? The language is probably better translated harmony. This is one time when I got to disagree a little bit with the New Living Translation. But it, it's, it's, you should be of one mind in the sense that you should be in harmony, other translations put it. And I think that's better because if you're musical at all, then you understand harmony doesn't mean singing the same note. Like when our worship team digs in and they sing harmonies, they're not singing the same note, but they're singing notes that relate to one another, Right? They're singing notes that are in tune with one another. They're singing notes that sound together harmonious. And so they go together. So even if they don't have the exact same note that they're singing, there can be beauty in the difference because the difference doesn't clash. And those who try to sing harmony and fail like me, 
Sometimes you hit that note that clashes and doesn't fit and doesn't go well. But if you sing it well, it's a beautiful thing and praises are lifted. And in the same way, we're not supposed to think alike. It's not like groupthink, but we should be in harmony with one another so that even when we think differently, there's something that goes together and we're harmonious and we, we get along with each other and we appreciate and respect each other and, and we challenge each other and we look at something even when it's different, but it, it fits together as one body. And so we're not out of tune with each other. But we're in sync, even with our differences. And so he says, love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. When the pressures out there are the greatest is when we need each other and we need to support each other and love each other and care for each other the most. And then he goes back to talking about our relationship with outsiders. And he says, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Well, hopefully he's talking about outsiders there. Uh, instead, pay them back with a blessing. Even when people are insulting you, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. So they insult us. We bless them back. Not because they blessed us, but because we're, no, we're going to get a blessing out of it. It's going to be a better blessing than they would give us anyway. It's going to come from God. And he's going he's to cover us. And so instead, he says, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. And then he goes on to say, for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Get away from speaking evil or telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. And then he says, search for peace and work to maintain it. He says, avoid evil, avoid speaking evil, avoid doing evil, do good instead. And then he says, search for peace and work. Roll up your sleeves and work to maintain the peace. Sometimes peace takes effort. And so Peter tells us, even as you're facing evil, and even as you're dealing with all of that, work as hard as you can for peace in the midst of that circumstance. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. We have to be concerned with doing the right thing, with doing good, and not doing evil. But in the midst of that, we are called to follow Jesus' example and to be his people and try to have an impact on our world. And so with all of these examples, it's not that it's always easy to live in a world where the pressures are on us. It's not always easy to face those pressures and not lash back, but we are called as Jesus' followers, to live in such a way that as far as we can, we live at peace with others and we win an audience for the gospel. And so we, we submit ourselves to his example and we follow him and we do what he calls us to do in the world. And Jesus being our prime example 
Peter says, if you want to enjoy life, if you want to see many happy days, you don't just invest in the evil. You don't go along with the evil, but you live with such honor and with such dignity and with such goodness that it has an impact on those who are even treating you unfairly. And even those who speak evil and make accusations against you. This morning, we're going to share communion. And, and this morning, as we consider that last supper that Jesus had and, and how he took the bread and broke it and took the cup and passed it, we are very cognizant that there are those in our congregation and in our community who feel deeply the pressure to conform to this world, that sometimes those pressures push in on us. And as Peter addresses it in this letter, there are those in our community who know what it is to suffer because they follow Jesus. And we're reminded that the way of Jesus may look like defeat, but we are more than conquerors through him.